Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 228th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On this episode, we're going to one of the scariest places probably in all of America, an elementary school. <laughs> now, that, Denise. <laughs> that can be scary even without hauntings. Just saying. I love kids, but. For people who know me, they know I'm not really a kid person. And so the thought of being in an elementary school is terrifying. But Post Town Elementary School really is a very frightening place. You wouldn't believe it, but it is one of the most haunted places out there. There is a lot of crazy stuff going on here. And the reason why we know this is because we're going to be joined by our listener, Angela Boley, who is a psychic and paranormal investigator with Big Country Paranormal. She's going to share some of the experiences that they've had, and many of them are truly chilling. Before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Hayden. Hey, Hayden. Jackie. Hello, Jackie. John. Hey, John. Miriam. Hi, Miriam. Quincy. Hey, Quincy. James. Hey, James. Chris with a C-H. Hello, Chris with a C-H. Annie. Hey, Annie. Anne with an E. Anne with an E. And Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. And now, this moment, Noddity. Rodolfo Guzman was a Mexican wrestler who went by the stage name El Santo. He competed in the Mexican version of professional wrestling known as Lucha Libre. In this fast-paced form of wrestling, wrestlers wore colorful masks as part of their persona. El Santo wore a silver mask. In Lucha Libre, losing one's mask is the ultimate defeat, and El Santo took this to the extreme. He wore his mask all of the time. His fans, collaborators, and crew did not know what he looked like without his mask. He would go so far as to book a different flight for himself than that of his crew to avoid them seeing his face. He also had a special mealtime mask with his mouth cut away so that he could eat. He became a cultural figure and symbol of Mexico, and the people adored him. El Santo also became a movie star, appearing in 50 movies. Those movies included Santos Faces Death, Santo vs. the Zombies, Santo vs. Frankenstein's Daughter, and Santo vs. the Vampire Women. In 1984, El Santo finally removed his silver mask publicly, revealing his face to the world on a talk show called Contrapunto. Not removing his mask for all those years is definitely unusual, but even stranger is the fact that he died 10 days after revealing his face, and that certainly is odd. Oh. 
creepy makes history more delicious. And now, this month in history. In the month of October, on the 15th in 1917, World War I spy Matahari was executed by a French firing squad at Bonsin Barracks outside Paris. Matahari was born Margaretha Gutrida Zelle in 1876. Her father left the family and her mother died when Mata was 15. She married Rudolf John MacLeod, an officer in the East Indies Army, when she was 18. He was abusive and she wrote of him that he, quote, came close to murdering me with the bread knife. I owe my life to a chair that fell over and which gave me time to find the door and get help, end quote. She left him and went to France to start a new life. That new life found her working as a prostitute and exotic dancer. She took the name of Matahari at this time for the stage. The legend of Matahari claims that she was a femme fatale who spied for the Germans during World War I, leading to the deaths of thousands of Allied soldiers. The truth is that she did not divulge any important information to the Germans, but her travels and relationships put her under scrutiny, and the fact that she had relationships with French officers may have led the French to arrest her and perhaps decide to rid themselves of her. She was found guilty and sentenced to die by firing squad. When she faced the squad on that October day, she denied a blindfold and stared steadfastly at her firing squad. She did not move a muscle. Posttown Elementary School was dedicated in 1937 in Middletown, Ohio. Before a school was located on this spot, there was a train wreck with casualties within a mile of the property. There was no hospital close by, so the field where the school now exists was set up as a triage center. Many believe that the spirits of those who died from the accident still remain on the land and now haunt the school there. Angela Boley is an artist, psychic, and paranormal investigator with Big Country Paranormal. She joins us to share a little about the history of the school and a lot about her paranormal experiences inside the school. And the fun thing about this interview is we always like to ask everybody who joins us, what got you into the paranormal? And if people seem to have some kind of psychic ability, we kind of ask a little bit about, well, when did that start? What makes you think that? Denise, most people who know me know that I am really, really, if there's something about the paranormal I am skeptical about, it's psychics and mediums. I'm a lot like Houdini when it comes to that. But by the time we got done talking to Angela Boley, I am convinced that she really does have some kind of psychic ability. And at the beginning of this interview, when we ask her a little bit about this, it's like we put a quarter in and she went. But we will be asking questions. So don't be like, oh, my gosh, are they going to jump in here and and ask her about some of the stuff she's talking about? Because her story is absolutely amazing. And so I hope you really enjoy it before we get into talking about the elementary school. And then the stuff she tells us about what happened in the elementary school and the things that she can see, it's like, I don't think I'll ever be visiting that place. Oh, so you don't want me to add it onto the Ohio itinerary? (laughs) Maybe we'll take a picture of the outside of it. Okay, sort of like the old city jail in Charleston for me. (laughs) On August 18th, 1936, the voters of Madison Township passed a bond issue for a consolidated elementary school at Post Town to replace the township's one-room school. On September 7, 1937, the new school on Franklin Trenton Road opened, although not all the construction was completed. The school wouldn't be officially dedicated until April 15, 1938. Pupils were assigned to the new school from Upper and Lower Browns Run, Dubs, Pike, and Old Post Town. 
There were 200 students at the time. The schoolhouse has a history that's relatively peaceful. One young girl fell three floors down a stairwell and was killed by a serious head injury. Her name was Sarah. The school eventually closed, and the building is now owned and operated by Daryl and Brenda Wisman. We are joined on this episode by Angela Boley. She is with the Big Country Paranormal and also describes herself as a psychic artist. She's the one who suggested Post Town Elementary to us. She's not only visited it, but she's also investigated it. So she is the perfect person to talk to about this. How are you, Angela? Doing great today. I thought we could ask you first a little bit about what got you interested in the paranormal. Is it that you started to notice that you had psychic abilities or did you have some experiences? What got you into ghosts? When I was a child, I died and I bled out and I came back and I remember the entire experience. Now, when I came back, I realized there was a door open for me, but I didn't know for what. Especially after that, I started to see more spirit and got that validation because other people would see them as well. And I got to the point where I was seeing more and more spirits and being able to see this, have, you know, future premonitions and things of that nature. But I had lots of paranormal experiences. And when I was a teenager, well, in my 20s, I would say college years, I actually was just leaving the house just to go for a walk. And when I went to get my jacket and opened the door, And there was a person standing there, and he was very bloody, and he was tore up. And I thought it was a real person at first. But then he started talking, and when he would talk, he would talk in my head. And he was telling me about how he died. And he died on an accident at a factory that was nearby. And he even told me where the factory was is when I drove drove by to school. You know, I was in shock, and I I actually knew that he needed help. I said, I'm going to be right back. And I walked out, and then I went back in, and he was gone. And I followed up on that and looked up the information. And because he had on, he was skinned, but he had high-top tennis shoes. He had almost like, uh, he had stonewashed jeans that were sort of flared at the bottom. And the way that he talked, he said, man, I said, man, I should have stayed at school. Man, I just got to get a factory job, man. Well, I looked up his information. I actually found a record of his death in the 79, there was a record of a, of a man who was sucked through a machine at this location, and everything, his clothes that he was wearing, how he was talking was very consistent with the 70s. And it validated what I experienced was a spirit and not, you know, not a, of course, not a living person, but you know, living people don't appear and suddenly disappear, but that this was really a spirit. And then I really had abilities because people don't typically just, so just show up as real and as physical as you and I. And I, and then after that, I had more spirits coming in, and every single one would have some sort of validation or some sort of record that I could verify and go back and check on. And as I got into the paranormal, I got into a podcast of explaining my experiences, and I was able to learn about Big Country Paranormal, got with them. And when I went into my first investigation, I told them I, you know, I felt like I was being pulled back in time. I, saw, I see a woman in the kitchen. All the appliances changed to the 1940s for me. And it felt like I was actually being pulled down, but pulled down through time. And I could see this woman dressed in the 1940s doing her dishes in the kitchen. I learned, I went down to the basement, saw her husband, who was smoked cigarettes, wore a hat. And also felt they had a cat that, at the time, that you know, when they were alive, that visited them, come in and out. And also saw a shadow person upstairs. So 
I knew nothing about this place. I knew nothing about the residence. I didn't even know what the address was. Somebody else drove me. And we asked the case manager, and she said, well, tell me what you what you experienced. It told them about the lady. It told them about the man in the hat, and then he smoked a cigarette, and that was her husband. And she said that the original structure was from the 1940s. The woman uh, was middle-aged, and her husband wore a hat, and he smoked cigarettes. And it validated everything. So it was this further validation. And the more I, the more I communicate, I communicated with other family members who have passed that I never knew about or didn't possibly have known about or knew what they were like and was able to pass that to other family members. So it's something that I knew I had, particularly in my high school years and my early 20s, but as recently as getting stronger and more intense, especially when I'm helping people to sort out their hauntings, and I end up helping both the living and the people that have crossed, because I also help spirits cross over. And I will draw portraits of the spirits that I see, and they will often visit me before I even go to a location. In fact, when I go to a location after I've made the drawing of the spirit that has contacted me, the people would there said, yes, we've seen this person. We've seen this person in the basement. We've seen this person standing over a bed. We've heard this person speak to us. So I get all this validation that I am a genuine psychic medium. I do have genuine psychic powers and abilities. I can see auras. I can read auras and, and tell people their health issues and their you know, their histories and where they might be going in life and so forth. It, it just, it more recently, it's becoming more intense because I've been going on investigations. Wow. I think you just blew our minds. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> blown. <laughs> I have so many questions just from going back to how you casually just said, well, I died, bled out, and then came back. through. I'm like, okay, well... So how old were you when you when you had had your your near death experience or your actual death experience it sounds like I was five, I was 5 years old in fact the, the physician mom at the time you know I had overdosed an aspirin there was some aspirin laying out and I thought it was one of those Pez candy and it was back in the 70s and this is before safety caps but the but the bottle was loose and the pills were everywhere so I ate them all and the hospital bled out and they said there wasn't any blood to transfer to him because I was bleeding through the stomach. I was vomiting blood. And I completely exhausted all my blood, threw it all up, and, the, and they didn't have any blood to replace it for what I lost. And the doctor had actually told my parents, I have to call the coroner because we can't save her. And I actually heard him make the call to the coroner, uh, to, to the county coroner to come get me. Of course, I didn't know what, what the coroner was or what that was about or why he put me on a table and put a blanket over my head. Uh, but I was actually sent back. And I traveled up through a light that went through the ceiling, up to the hospital ceiling, over above the hospital. I could see everybody and all the other floors I was traveling up. And I went into a light, and it was a beautiful light. I felt love. I felt peace. And there was a tremendous intelligence there that I was in the presence of. And the intelligence spoke and told me that he was sending me back. My body was made up of individual cells. He was going to repair every single one of those cells, and I was going to be sent back. So I actually came back the way I came. And I was hovering over my body, and I was realized I'm separate from my body. My body was just like a device, like a car. It's something that you wear. It's not something that is you. And he said, get up, get up, get up. And when he said, get up for the third time, I actually leaped off the table. And the doctor reexamining, and, and he said to my parents, not only is she fully recovered, but she's actually healthier than most children her age, which surprised you know, prize to everybody, especially to the light of my parents that I was back. Uh, but I had no heart, no heartbeat, no blood, no activity whatsoever for over 30 minutes. Wow. So you not only had 
a death experience, but this was a miracle with you coming back. Cause it's not like yes. you, you know, when you hear about people who have a near death experience or something and they have a heart attack, they bring them back with the paddles or something. And so in the meantime, they've taken a trip and they come back into their body after getting the paddles and stuff, but you can't just come back if there's no blood in your body. So that, it, that was a That's miracle right. on top of it. Yes, exactly. And when I was sent back, I felt like I was sent back with this perception. Now, I, now I didn't know what death was at the time. I didn't realize so a little bit older what death was and realized I had died and come back. But I definitely realized, I mean, as soon as I got back, that I could see that other world that I was in. It was like I had an open door, an open window, if you want, to that world. And I can see spirits as clearly as you see living people walking down the street. And sometimes in, in early on, it, it got really hard for me to deal with because I could be doing something very ordinary. And just like I described in my when I had that experience in my 20s with that man just suddenly appearing there, and he, they, they, it would startle me because suddenly somebody's there that shouldn't be there. And, but it took a while for me to get used to it and work around that and create the boundaries that I needed so I could live my daily life and then set aside that time in that function and that concentration just for the spirit world so that if spirits want to communicate, they could come into me at that time and approach me at that time as opposed to just popping up any old place and then, you know, scaring the heck out of me or confusing me or startling me in some way. So with the ability, since it is so clear for you, have you ever been able to help like in a, a crime investigation or help the police with like missing, uh, missing persons or anything like that? As a child, as growing up, I did have some homicide victims come to me, but they wouldn't give me specifics like a phone number or a name. More recently, I have been able to to reach out to and help murder victims cross. And that's something that I'm going to go into that direction more because the more I do this, the more information I'm able to get and have verified independently. And that's something I'm definitely pursuing and I'm offering my service for, and I'm starting out as a, you know, a volunteer my time uh, for the police department. At least I want to volunteer my time for the police department as a police sketch artist, help the police, and also help families when we do these paranormal investigations in private homes. If they have a missing person or situation or there was a homicide to help them out, I'm perfectly willing and help anybody that's willing to reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to help and let them know that come, they, something has come through. All I can say that it may help. I can't guarantee that it will help, but it may help. What information that I can provide. Well, that's great that you do that. I know we appreciate that. Something else that you mentioned there that I wanted to ask you about is when you were having that experience where you were being pulled back through time. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Like I sometimes think that sometimes when we have a ghost experience, that what we have is a weird time slip going on where they're still in their same time and we're in our time, but we're seeing each other somehow and that it's not actually ghost activity going on. But I've never heard anybody say, well, it felt like I was pulled back into and here I am seeing this whole scene in front of me. Right. I actually felt like the sensation I felt, it was like, have you ever stood on the beach next to the ocean and the waves come out and they just pull you yes. and try to pull you out? That's the feeling I got. As soon as I walked in the door, I felt like I was being pulled out by a tide, but being pulled back to a different time. And it was the spirits, they were spirits there, and these were actual spirits there, but they were from that other time frame, and they were experiencing their, their what they wanted, which was their own time, what they were familiar with. 
And it's been my experience, especially when I cross spirits over and I can see where they go when they cross, they like to go to an ideal version of their own time or what they're familiar with. Uh, For example, I helped cross over a lady from the Victorian era and she really liked this old village. And she, so when heaven opened up for her and she crossed over, she just walked into the village. And of course, that was you know, her realm, that's what heaven had prepared for her, a place that she would be familiar and more comfortable with is sort of a village from her time frame. And there's one they helped cross, there was from the 1918, that time period about where Theodore Roosevelt was president. And he liked when he crossed over, his mother came and got him and crossed him over. And what I saw was like a, like an old time town. And it was like a bustling small town. And that's where he wanted to go to. There is some sort of push and pull with time. And based on my experience from coming back and having so many paranormal experiences, it's my idea is that time is not linear, that past, present, and future kind of happen simultaneously. And sometimes there's, I wouldn't say rips or tears, but sometimes you can, if a place is, has a particularly strong imprint on an area, say, you know, a place was a, like a butcher shop or something like that. And then you have, you know, 40 years later, you have hair salon or something. And you walk into it, for me, I would feel the butcher shop. The the hair salon would kind of still be there, but it would almost, the butcher shop would kind of be semi-imposed upon it like a hologram. And other times, that other past time period will be stronger than the present. And I have to think, well, where am I really? I need to see something modern. Let me just go through my purse here to go find my phone so I can get my point and my reference in time again. But I, I do think that they, they bleed through. And I, I think sometimes if, if something is there and has been allowed, it makes a print and it's like a footprint and it, you just see it and experience it. That is so interesting. I'm having visions of the movie Somewhere in Time because when he saw <laughs> something from his time period, boom, it pulled him back into that time that he was from. And hearing you say, I've never heard anybody say like when somebody's crossing over, they go to something that they're familiar with or that they really enjoy. And that is right. so cool. I, you know, that would be amazing if you could just be like, you know, I want to go to the beach and that's where I'm heading to or if there's right. a time period you wanted to go to, because I'm the same way. I think that we have no comprehension of what time actually is. or It's like we have time, but when you get outside of our existence, there isn't time. So there's like, that's exactly. why we don't understand it completely, because it's almost like we were given time because we can't be without it. It's like we have to have time. And so when you're outside of it, what? how much different would that be? That's... Very interesting to hear you say that. Well, and it's funny that you say that, Diane, because I know that's one of your favorite movies. And as she was talking, I almost made the comment, oh, it's like your movie, Somewhere in Time. So, so <laughs> you know, I, I right. laughed that that's the one you brought up. So the school, Post Town Elementary, is in the town of Middletown in Ohio. Is that how they say it, Middletown, or is it Middleton? It is Middletown. Can, can you tell us a little bit about it? We've never heard of it before. So is it the big town, a little town? It is a little town. It's outside of Dayton, so near near Wright Pat Air Force Base. Not very far from there. So if you know where Dayton Wright Pat Air Force Base is, not terribly far. You actually drive a little bit into the country. You drive through a little neighborhood that has some beautiful, absolutely astonishingly breathtaking Victorian homes, and then you go back a road that runs along a river, and that's more of country. And it's a very small town. And back in the 1930s is when the school was built. Prior to the school was being built, there was the worst train accident 
in Ohio history, and I think it even made the worst train accident in history as far as fatality. And they actually put the bodies and laid them out where the school was going to be built. So there is that residual energy of the people from the train wreck. And I do believe there are a few spirits. I actually met spirit from the train wreck as well. And the school is from the 1930s. It closed, I believe, in around the 1990s, late 1990s, when it was sold. And the new owners have turned it into more of a haunted attraction, but not in a haunted attraction in the sense that they put props or anything like that. It is just very respectful. They preserve the school as much as possible and allow people to come in and do investigations. Well, that would explain why they have huntings going on there, because when I first saw your email and I went, Post Town Elementary, well, why would an elementary school be so haunted? Because you think usually there's not a lot of tragedies going on there. Maybe a child would pass away in an accident or something. But when you hear that one of the worst train accidents ever happened close by and that there were all these bodies there, you've got a lot of that kind of energy there now that's basically soaked into the ground. Yes, exactly. And there are spirits that, and I can tell you that as a psychic sensitive going there, I I can tell you that the spirits see that school as a sanctuary for them. So they might not have a very close connection to school. They may have lived nearby or lived or died nearby, but they are drawn to the school because it feels like a sanctuary to them at this point, uh, simply because that's, that's what they know. It's a great landmark and that's where they're going to go and they can meet with others and they can meet with them of their own kind and gather together, especially children that are familiar with that location. Since these were little kids in an elementary school, usually mm-hmm. we think of them as being more sensitive. Do you Have you heard any stories when the school was in operation of kids right. seeing spirits? I haven't heard anything myself. And I did talk to some of the adults who went there as children, and they didn't mention anything to me. But then I didn't talk to a whole lot of them. I only got to talk to maybe a handful of people that had grown up. And, you know, they're in their in their 30s. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. talked to two or three people. I haven't heard anything myself, but I've heard stories of little girl falling, a fatal fall in that school building. You know, I've heard about an apparition, but I didn't hear any of this until after I told the rest of my group what my experiences were, because they really don't want to share with me my mm-hmm. what I might experience, just to make sure to keep everything as legitimate as possible and authentic for whatever I'm reporting to them, and they can, in fact, go back and correspond to other people's experiences. Uh, but it, I haven't really heard so much. I'm still going there. I mean, I go there regularly. And every once in a while, I'm hoping that I meet people that have gone to school and they can tell me if they've ever experienced anything there. So far, I haven't talked to enough of them to find out firsthand from kids that had gone there and had grown up now if they remember anything. How many times have you investigated the school? Only once. And I actually, if you count the last weekend twice, because I did my own personal independent investigation last weekend. So we're getting you fresh from the site. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, you said that you'd had some experiences there. So would you share? Absolutely. Before we even got into the building, I was waiting for the members of my group to come and it was cold. It was quite a cold day for me. And I was sitting in the car with some adults there who had been students at the school and they were just coming to take a look and see what it's like now. And while I was sitting in the car with them, I could hear clairvoyantly, I could hear children giggling, but it wasn't a nice giggle. It was sort of like a malicious kind of prankish giggle. I was wondering, what am I going to expect when I go in there? And I finally 
when we went in, we had our presentation. Basically, we had a showing of Ghost Brothers on there who had an investigation. So we showed that episode that the public have their ghost investigation, then let them leave. And then we had our own private investigation, just a big country paranormal. So when we started that off, one of the school rooms that I went to had a intercom speaker up there. But of course, the intercom speaker was disconnected when the school was sold back in the 90s. And as far as I know, I don't even see any wires connected to anything. It's just the speaker shell on the wall. But I heard an announcement come over the loudspeaker. Everyone in the lunchroom, everyone report to the lunchroom, please. Everybody to the lunchroom. Well, that's weird. Even, <laughs> even if it was somebody who was pulling a prank, I don't think they would say something like that. Right. And nobody else heard it but me. But I could hear the crackling and everything over the speaker. And everybody in my group, we went down to the cafeteria area. It's in the basement. And I sat down with my group and we were looking around. Well, I noticed, and in fact, we all saw a black mass that was blocking the hall in front of us. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the hall had the had the window opening for the cafeteria for them to hand the trays out to the kids. Around there are windows, and behind the windows around there are the boilers. So I could see this black mask going back and forth and said, I'm wondering if it's just my eyes. I'm just going to go ahead and just grab my flashlight and walk up to it, see if I can walk through this black mist and see if it's just a really deep shadow I'm seeing or if there's something really there. So I walked to the back. I walked to where they would have handed out the food to the kids, walked around where the boiler was, past the windows. And then my friends with the rest of my group said they saw this black mass actually block the windows and it flowed around me like it was avoiding me. And it came around me. So I went back out and sat down again. And I could see this black mist. It was like a black mass, like a dark black smoky mass. It was so black. It was incredible. And you could also saw white mist that were in streaks that were kind of going by. And there were all sorts of light phenomenon. It was kind of like odd, faint light, like you might see in a lava lamp, just kind of flowing through that place. And it was very interesting. I got up and I walked to the back of the cafeteria and I actually could hear whispering. I couldn't make out what was being said and we couldn't catch it on audio, but we all heard whispering of some kind back there. We went to a music room that was nearby that's just around the corner. And as soon as you walk into the music room, all of us experience a sensation of being squeezed. It seems like everybody that goes into a room, you feel like you've got this incredible pressure, like very intense barometric pressure on you. But other than that, we didn't have any other experience in that room. When we left that room, I went through the cafeteria and through the gym area. And this is where I saw the seven-foot apparition. The rest of my group were hanging around the stage area. So I just leaned against the stage and was facing the doorway that we had just entered in from. When I looked back towards the doorway, I could see a mist actually pop in and out of the doorway as if it was peeking. And as the mist would peek in and out, it got more and more solid and it started to look more and more like a person. And then in the last peek in, it was incredibly solid. It looked like a seven foot tall man in a sweatsuit, but his face was just mist. It wasn't any, it was completely featureless. It was just a swirling mist. 
was that the same mist that you thought you saw earlier, the black mist? You, or were they two no, this, very separate things? These were separate things. And this mist was a white mist that was where the face should have been. It was just a white swirling mist. And he peeked in, peeked out, and then he was gone. He didn't peek in again. And I had the sense that he was a janitor. I had to work there at one time, and he's just drawn to that location. When we, we went back to the cafeteria, and one member of my team went upstairs, and she came running down after a while in a panic. And when I saw her, I could tell that she was in a panic because her aura had holes in it, which I normally don't see holes. And I also seeing these like lightning strike colors coming out of her, which would indicate fear to me. And she said, I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. I was attacked upstairs. So we, we went upstairs. We went to the area where she said she was being attacked, and we all sat down. It's basically a room with just a few desks. And I saw something walk in and stand in front of her, but it sidestepped me, and whatever it was only came up to my shoulder. I'm only 4'11", so this is not a very tall creature, and I could see it was a creature. It looked 100% dead on a satyr, which the half goat, half, half person that you see in Greek mythology, it was that exact same shape. But all I could see was the outline of it. It was sort of like the invisible man, but you, you just see the outline. Okay, and you just really just, scared me because I'm like a satyr. This isn't like some satyr. little fuzzy animal. A satyr is like a huge goat man bull looking type thing. Well, if you think of Pan, the half uh-huh. half goat and half person where he's a goat on top and a Goat, I mean, goat, a man on top and a goat legs and goat feet and yes. little horns, that type of being. So half man, half goat thing. So this is something that obviously it's not a human being that died there. This is something that has been attracted to that location. Was it brought to half, that location? Yeah. Do you know? It was a creature, it was a malicious creature. And I think it was, it would never was alive. And it was just had a malicious nature. It, would, it was actually touching people in the room. And in the case of one of the other women in the group, it was poking her and pulling her hair. And I saw it stand in front of her. When I see it stand in front of her, she just shouts out, it's in front of me now. And I could see the outline on this thing. And I start digging through my purse for holy water. And I start walking towards it. And then it went behind her. And, and when I saw it go behind her, she says, it's behind me now. And I said, yes, I see it. It went behind you. And I kept walking towards it, and it kept backing up, backing up, and it went towards this storage area, which is uh, looks like a chiffre robe uh-huh. type closet, and it was right up against it. And when I put sprinkled some holy water on it, it just disappeared. Wow! How did you guys yeah. not run screaming from the building? Because <laughs> <laughs> you all could see it, obviously, right? Right. My Yvonne could see it, and I could see it. The person that was that it was attacking could not see it, but could feel it. Now, is Yvonne, is she psychic too? Yes, she is. Okay, so you, the the psychic people could see it, but people who didn't have abilities could not see it. They could just feel that they were being attacked. Right, she can feel it being attacked. And and the girl that was attacked does have abilities, but she doesn't have them to the degree where she can see and hear spirits. She feels them most of all, but she was feeling this. And I could even feel it. And even when it was touching some people, I would see a green orb where they say they would be touched. There was all sorts of light phenomena. We all saw light and we all saw these little sparky lights that kind of look like, even like Tinkerbell lights, you know, little colored lights or little mini Uh fireworks. 
and different places around the inside. And in past experiences there, uh, my rest of my group said they've had other things happen. For instance, there is a roof access panel that is just a heavy trap door. There is no access and there hasn't been for years to it. The only way you could have gotten access is for a very long ladder while that door opened and shut itself Hmm. at one point when they were there. And I had more experiences over this past weekend when I went back there. When 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 I first walked into the building, there's you know, there's a sense of I'm running out of breath and I'm having a heart attack. And I know that's not just me. It's it's like the, the atmosphere is like that. In some places, as soon as you're walking, if you're at all sensitive at all. And this time, uh, I went with somebody and we tried to see what was out back. Well, now this is in the daytime when we're having a, a fundraiser there. And I felt immediately that there was a presence of spirits. And what I saw in my vision, like day suddenly went to night. And I saw a group of children like huddled together and they looked like they had been, I wouldn't say beat up or a little bit worn, a little bit ragged, but they were look like they were from an earlier time frame. And these are like, I got the sense that these kids were just didn't have very good lives, but they, but in their afterlife, they had gathered together there around the school. And there was two children in particular that were very much stood out for me. One of them was a little girl and the little girl was excited to see me and she, but when she would come towards me, I get a strong sense of suffocation. I mean, when you feel like your lungs are going to burst of suffocation very intensely, then she starts showing me images of being on a train or even before she got on the train in a hotel room and her parents are telling her, get into the suitcase. We don't have to, so we don't have to pay for a ticket. And this was a big suitcase. You could tell it was from a long time ago, from maybe, um, Prior to 1930, but they had these huge cases that basically look like trunks. Yeah. And they're telling her to get into the suitcase so they don't have to pay for a ticket. And don't worry about it. We'll get you. We'll come and get you. And, you know, when we're train rides, then we'll come and get you. But that train they happened to go on on the train ride was the train that wrecked. And, and nobody knew she I, was in there. Nobody knew she was in there. And I could feel that asphyxiation and it was just horrible. Mm. I. She would try to walk towards me, and I would try to get close to her, but the the sensation was so strong, I would literally lose my breath, and I could not breathe at all. And the um, and I was telling uh, the person accompanying with me on this, Tim, he said, are you getting a name? I said, Sarah. He said, yes, I know Sarah. I talk to her all the time on the ghost box here. So he, he evidently is familiar with her from his numerous trips from being out there. You know what's interesting about that story that you just shared is some people could say, well, you know, psychics make up things and, you know, they're not legitimate. But when you tell a story like that, I could see you saying, well, there was this family was on the train. They had this little girl with them. They had this wreck and she got pinned under the wreckage. And then, you know, since she was crushed, she couldn't breathe, blah, blah, blah. That just makes sense. But to come up with this, she's put in a trunk, which would have put her into the cargo. Nobody knows she's there. Right. You'd have to be awfully creative just to come up with that off the top of your head. So that, to me, makes it even more convincing. And then you have somebody who's telling you, oh, I've had conversations on the ghost box with this particular spirit, which kind of backs up what you're saying there then. Right, exactly. And even when I first uh, encountered her, the first thing I experienced was a sensation of being in a box. And I'm like, why am I in a box? I feel like I'm in a coffin. I can't be in a coffin. That wouldn't make sense. And then she started 
showing me some, some of her memories. And when, they, when they're showing me something, I'm actually experiencing their memories. They're sharing their memories with me. And I'm sort of seeing their memories play out. And I could see the hotel room they were in. I could see the curtains, bed, the lamp, and everything on the table. And then her parents telling her, we don't have to pay in the ticket. And just reassuring her, you know, get into the, get into the suitcase. You'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Just plan your room in there. And I believe in history, I don't know if, if kids... I, I'm guessing that parents really would, I wouldn't put past parents to do that if they tried to save money, some of them. so No, and I'm sure it wasn't cheap to get a train ticket back then. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, we go to drive-ins when we were young people and you'd put people in the trunk so you didn't have to pay for them to get right. out. <laughs> exactly. So we're, we're still human beings that are like, how can I get a free ride here? Right, exactly. And it's unfortunate that it happened to be a train that meant with a, you know, a fate, with a horrible collision. And if and I was thinking, of, oh, my gosh, if only could have somebody would have gone through the luggage, if somebody mm-hmm. would have thought to look for stowaways, if somebody would have thought to, to really search where you wouldn't ordinar- ordinarily search, you know, maybe she would have been found. But it was just it's upsetting that nobody could get to her in time. That was upsetting. And there was also the little boy there. And the little boy, he looked a little beat up. He had a little bit of a, he had a wound on his forehead, like he had fallen. And I, he had, I just got the sensation and the impressions of being beat all over. I felt beat up all over and I felt abused and I really felt like he had an abusive father and that contributed to his death. He took a hard fall and which ultimately killed him. But he, he's the type of little boy that just wants to be strong, doesn't cry. And that's why he's, He's sort of lingering. He really needs to let out his emotions from that time frame, from all that suffering, and just have a good cry so he can cross. But he just wants to be that tough little boy. And he's hanging out with all the other little ghost children, uh, just trying to be the the big guy (laughs) there. But the other children there, I didn't get the chance to talk or meet with any of them, but they are children that I got an impression that were grew up in very poor circumstances. They They were economically quite poor in their homes and they just kind of had a rough existence. They probably carried more of a burden than they should have as children. And they just sort of gathered together and support each other there at that school. Denise and I sometimes get torn when it comes to children ghosts, because we always think to ourselves, kind of like with you, how when you died and you went to this great place, it's like, I can't understand how children would be left here instead of taken to the place that you were describing when you had passed away. Right. So what, what uh, feeling do you get? Do you get that the kids, are they, are they just lost and they don't realize that they've died? Or they think they're waiting for their mom and dad? Do you get a feeling of why they're here? The, one, the little boy, um, Billy, that's there, I know he's there because you can't really move on to the other side. Do you take care of your emotional attachments here? He still has a lot of emotion to release before he cross. Once he releases that emotion and starts to cry, he will actually cross over. Someone will come and get him. As for the the little girl, the little girl is still very much attached to what happened to her. So she's still bringing that with her, that sense, that suffocation, that energy. And she's, she's still attached to that. She has to release that trauma in order to move on. And it's the same with children as with adults, that if, they, if you carry a trauma with you, if you die traumatically, oftentimes you carry that trauma with you you have to forgive the circumstances. If a person was responsible for your death, then you have to forgive that person in order to cross over. If it's your own fault, let's say in the case of the the man that was killed at the factory, he blamed himself from just making a bad choice in life. And he had to forgive himself because you can't really blame yourself. You can't possibly predict that 
something bad is going to happen to you. You can't predict that. You have to forgive yourself. And with people that I help cross over, it's usually a matter of forgiveness and acceptance that they still need to make peace with the life that they had and with the emotions and everything they've gone through from life so they can cross. And they're they're here in a state called purgatory. That's the best state I can call for it. It's like purgatory. They're working out, trying to heal themselves from their issues and work through their issues. Once they've released all their, their pain and the suffering, they've gone through forgiveness. Maybe they forgive the person that's killed them. Maybe they forgive themselves or forgive the fact that they've been through so much suffering and forgive those circumstances and let that go. Let them release that emotion and they'll be more than happily cross. It's holding on to this world that's a problem for spirit. Now, when somebody crosses over, is it possible for them to come back and visit? For example, you'll hear people who maybe they've lost a mother or a father and they might be visited before they move on right after they pass, oh, but then they might oh, see them again later. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've come across this so much, even with my own family, that my great grandfather and his father-in-law visit me on occasion. Now, I never knew them in life. They died long enough ago that I never knew them, but my mother knew them. And when I pointed them out in the picture and I said, that's the person who came to me. And I said, this is what he said. He said, instead of saying, I love you, because he was such a tough guy, he'd, he'd say, oh, I kick your, I kick somebody ass for you anytime, any day of the week. I'm like, <laughs> thanks. She, she said, yeah, that's exactly how he talked. And that's exactly what he would say. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Um, and also, I helped a lady whose son had passed over. And I knew that he had crossed over. I could see the circumstance in which he died. He was in a vehicle accident. A teenager, he was only, I believe, 17 when he died, and he was a passenger in a vehicle, and I could see the vehicle from his perspective, and I could see that he was on the passenger side, and I saw some nice tree in front of me. I feel the impact in my chest. I actually feel something rupture in my chest, and I could feel some sort of liquid running down the middle internally. Well, what happened when he hit the tree and it um, hit the dashboard, it ruptured his aorta in his heart. Uh. So he bled. There was nothing that could be done for mm-hmm. him. But I saw him standing in his mother's bedroom in a pillar of white light. And he told me to give her a message and say to her, tell mama I'm smiling and I'm not leaving here until I see she's smiling too. And when I told her that and she said, that has to be from him. That couldn't be anybody else from him because when he was seven years old, him and I made a promise to each other that we would always keep smiling no matter what. So what you're saying makes perfect sense. And they showed me a picture of him. And I'm like, that's exactly who the person I saw standing in the room. And that's the smile I saw because he was he such a beautiful, big smile. And in fact, he even followed me home all the way from Massillon, which is about, I'm not Massillon, I apologize, Alliance, which is about a four-hour drive. He followed me home, showed up in my kitchen, and he said, you made a new friend on the other side today. I want to thank you for what you did for my mom. And wow. I said, I said, thanks, Chuck. And I said, when you're getting to cross and your mom is happy, you know, just come back and say hi. Just let me know that everything's okay. And he says, all right. So he left me. And, but I'm sure I'll, I'll see him again. And you know, I've seen animals who have crossed over. I have pets that hang around that, you know, have crossed over a while ago. And they visit. They actually come and visit and they come and go. Yes, they do visit from the other side, and when, you, when you're when you about to die or you're near death, there will be relatives that will kind of gather and, and help you 
in that transition, though, you won't be making that journey alone. There will be people kind of escorting you and helping you and welcoming you on the other side when you do pass. Well, I'm asking you all of these questions because I consider myself an open-minded skeptic. And when it comes to psychics and mediums, I lean more mm-hmm. towards the skeptical side of things. And listening to you, I feel like you're really legit, which is why I'm pursuing more questions with you than I usually do when somebody tells me they're a psychic. One other thing I'd like to ask you is, you're mm-hmm. talking a lot about how you're seeing these ghosts and they're contacting you. Do you mm-hmm. ever try to contact them? Not necessarily as a seance, but do you like, when you go into a house or something, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to ask, but... She wants to know, do you tempt the spirits? I guess that's what I'm probably <laughs> saying. <laughs> no, no, what I do is I, I, don't, I don't initiate contact with them. What I, I don't, just like I wouldn't walk up to a person kind of minding their own business and say, you want to talk to me? Want to talk to me? Come talk to me. You know, I don't do that. Uh, what I do when I go in, before I go to location, I say that if there's any spirits you want to come forward and wish to speak to me, you're welcome to communicate with me. I invite you, if you want to, to speak with me. You can communicate with me visually. You can communicate with me by sharing your memories. You can communicate by letting me feel what you are feeling. And you can, you're welcome to, if you need to grab my hand, that's perfectly fine. All I ask is that you don't possess me and you don't hurt me. Those are the only two things that I ask, that you're welcome to communicate in any way, shape, and form that you feel like you need, you have to, in order to get your message across. And that is sort of a gentle way of, hey, I'm not threatening you. I'm not, I'm not here to hurt you. Even if there's something there that's malicious or angry, they're not they're not going to be intimidated they're going to feel like i can okay here's somebody i can actually talk to this is an open ear or an open mic or somebody i can you know if there's somebody that's hurting they're going to be saying well this is somebody i can confide in they're going to listen to me i'm not going to have to worry about any judgment or criticism or somebody trying to get rid of me and blowing smoke around here and in that way this is spirit now that i'm open to hearing what they have to say and they can use me as a sounding board to kind of get what they're trying to say off their chest or what they're going through off their chest so i can, can you know tell the people who are living there you know this person in one case a woman was murdered back in the 1940s she didn't know she didn't realize that time had moved forward and to her it was still in 1946 and she was, she looked injured. She was angry and bitter. And all she wanted was to, to, was to get the guy who killed her. But once we was able to communicate to her, you know, it's been over 70 years. And then she was like, why am I hanging around here for? And I showed him, I was able to link her with her killer and show, cause her killer was still living in extreme old age. And actually he lived a good life actually, but I could actually see him in another place where he was living. He was visiting an assisted care facility. And I could see that he was getting ready to cross over, but what he was crossing over to was not a heavenly place. He was going to pay for everything that he did. And when she understood that, she forgave him. An angel actually came over and got her. And she, as she was being led towards heaven, which for her, I could see rolling hills and sort of a beautiful uh, forest with trees and rolling hills and grass. And she was just walking off there and she she actually had wounds that healed up on her face and her body. And you could feel the atmosphere changing. It got lighter and she crossed over. But she realized and she understood that once he crosses, he's going to have to answer what he did. I mean, it doesn't matter at this point in time, you know, so much time has elapsed, even if 
police got involved and here was a trial and there was a conviction and even if her remains were found and they forensically connected him to her murder, it wouldn't make an iota a difference because ultimately his punishment is over there on that other side where he's going. But the, the poor woman just didn't realize that there had been more than almost 70 years had passed. Right. You know, from the time that she, in fact, um, when I told the, the couple this, because again, I'm not given any foreknowledge of what anybody's experienced in the home. The husband there said, let me show you this picture. Was, this woman had a severely traumatized face, the one side of her face. And he held up a picture and he said, I was taking a picture of myself in my mirror, just taking a picture of my biceps because I'm doing all of this construction in the home and refurbishing the place. I was getting some big muscles. I'm going to show off my muscles. And then standing behind him in the mirror was this woman that I saw with a damaged face, the side of her face, 1940s, wearing the pencil dress, the 1940s hairstyle. But she was, she looked as real as he did, only she was a different color. She looked completely green. She looked sort of like a pea colored green, what her color was. And I was looking at that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was, she was very violent. She actually picked up a man and threw him a, a through against the wall there, a large man. She uh, knocked over some construction materials, well, which, you know, a really large Olympic athlete, athlete couldn't knock down, but she knocked them down uh, just from her anger, her emotions. And, and I would watch her move the house. Would, it really made me feel uncomfortable watching her move through the house. She'd actually glide to the house. She wasn't walking. She'd glide through the house, and she'd turn around corners like she was on a monorail sliding and sliding through the house. It was it was kind of creepy to see, but I was glad to, to finally cross her over because the atmosphere changed and it felt so much more peaceful, much more lighter, and so much more pleasant. And of course, when I cleanse the place, I also leave protection and peace with it so that that remains there. I know you were talking about how like you open yourself up when you're going into these places to, to allow the spirits, mm-hmm. if they want to communicate with you. When you've done that, have you ever had like a... Not not just an angry entity like the lady that you were just talking about, but an mm-hmm. evil entity that has tried to do anything regardless of what you said about, like, you can't possess me or anything. Has, has that ever happened to you? Well, they try. They are, their efforts are thwarted and blocked by the protection that I carry with me. And I have a spiritual protection. I have, a, I would have to say, an unseen army around me okay. of other spirits that know my purpose and even... Even before I got into this and going to investigations and helping other people with these abilities, there were other spirits that would come through that would help me and try to prepare me for this and protect me. So I have family members. There are angels around me. There's, uh, I would say, a, a, one of them is a wolf, a spirit wolf that protects me. So I have so much protection around me, and they do make themselves known as well. And in fact, at the one place where I'm telling you about with the, with the woman with the, that was murdered back in the 40s and had the damaged face, she was so aggressive, she would actually get nose to nose with me and would just kiss and, and just curse at me and scream at me right in my face. But the other paranormal investigators around me could smell jasmine really strong. And I know that's, that's the smell of heaven. When I went to heaven, that's, that's the smell. That's what it smells like, jasmine. And that's, I knew that's my sign to me that my protection was there, that I had other spirits protecting me just in case this woman got so volatile that she really would try to possess me or attack me or do any type of harm. It's their way of saying, yeah, I got your back. We're not going to let her do any harm to you. And that was remarkable to get that gift, that acknowledgement, that verification from the other side. Yes, we're backing you up. You're going into a tough situation, but we're, we're helping you. 
you know, they don't, they, I do ask them that they don't show me from any sensations because if, I, uh, if, if somebody experienced pain there, I, the information I can relay and where I'm experiencing pain, the intensity of the pain, the nature of the pain can verify whether I'm saying it's accurate. For example, at one location, I was feeling getting stabbed by a pitchfork and in the backyard, I felt very strongly a presence of a horse and I felt my insides were twisting and I, I wonder why I was feeling this, this twisting sensation. It was very painful and they had a horse that had to be put down due to colic, which I found out later and when the horse gets colic, they actually, their insides actually twist um, and there was a pitchfork accident prior to that with the little girl running into a barn and she fell on a pitchfork. And I, I, another location where somebody was stabbed to death, I could, I would, I'd walk there. They just, they just say, just tell me what you sense. And I could actually feel pressure on my throat. And I could feel somebody had me by the throat. And actually, feel, I can actually feel a knife they go up into my ribs. And then they told me that back in the 60s, there was this person that was horribly assaulted and strangled and stabbed to death there in that spot without having, without me having any foreknowledge of it. I, but I experienced all the sensations and that adds validity to not only my abilities, but that really took place there and could help them move forward with an investigation should they pursue it. So when it comes to Post Town Elementary, do you think you'll ever help any of those people to cross over and so then it will no longer be haunted? What I think of the future, it is still a sanctuary there for the spirits, especially children's spirits there. And I really feel like it just needs time. I think in time, the spirits will eventually cross over. And it's just a matter of them allowing them to release their emotions. But it would have to be over a long period of time. It isn't something that I feel like I should do all at once. Mm -hmm. But something that requires regular visitations, visiting them, encouraging them to sort of release their emotions and relive their experiences and help them move on and, and ask. If there's any spirits out there that want to help move them on, they'll come and they'll help. Because there are other spirits that can recognize the distress in others, just like we as living people might see somebody hurting on the street and we go out and we want to help them. There are other spirits that will help others cross over and sort of be there with them. There is at least one spirit I know that does need to cross and I'm working on that and we're just kind of getting more information as we go. But it's, it's a matter of, of time, I think, and spending more time there and helping them. Eventually, I think they'll, they'll all cross, but it's going to be a long time. School, they do have fundraisers there. So, and, the, and if you want to be a vendor there, it's free. There isn't any, any fee there. So certainly meet, come down, meet people when they do have an event. Please watch and go to Post Town Elementary. You can also go to our Facebook page, which is Big Country Paranormal. And you're also welcome to visit me on Facebook. I says Angela Boley Portrait Artist. It's very simple. Some of the portraits that I do of spirits will be on that Facebook page as well. So once I'm able to get a good look at that guy's face at seven foot tall. I'll put his portrait on there. But I plan soon to uh, put other um, images on there. Like I'm going to, um, my intention is to create a painting of an illustration of my near death experience. I'm actually my death experience and what it was like to cross over and post that soon on my Facebook page as well. So people can actually get a visual sense as well, not just my description, but what I actually see and experience as well as more spirits I come across, I'll be posting on posting their portraits on there as well. Angela, we want to thank you for suggesting this amazingly haunted location and for joining us to tell us about your experiences and also your psychic abilities. It's been fascinating. 
Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you have me on. I really appreciate talking to you ladies and I appreciate your podcast and all that you do. Well, thank you. And you have a great evening. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. It is hard to believe that an elementary school could be so haunted. Are there both friendly and malevolent spirits walking the halls of the former school? Is Posttown Elementary haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I really enjoyed having Angela on. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Well, I have to say, we have really heard a lot from our family who all were people who either worked at or have been in the hospital that was there before Asylum 49. We've now heard from the younger sister of Cena Snyder, and I think her name is Lida or Lida. It's L-Y-D-A. She says, I'm the younger sister of Cena Snyder and aunt of Tashiana, who you mentioned at the end of your last show. I just listened to the Asylum 49 episode and the end of The Legend of Lilith. The Asylum 49 episode gave me goosebumps. I've not entered the building since it became Asylum 49, but I've been a patient in that hospital more than once. A few days after Tashiana was born, she was readmitted because of jaundice, and a cousin of ours welcomed his oldest son into the world across the hall. I'm quite certain I met the nurse she mentioned when I went across the hall to say hello to my cousin. So there's Maria showing up again. As I was about to come back across to Cena and Tashiana, I saw a red-headed nurse in the hall there peeking in on them. I turned back to say something to the nurse in the one room behind me, and then when I turned back, the red-headed nurse was gone. I did not see anyone in the hall, and I heard no footsteps. I said nothing and did not know the whole account of Cena's until it was told on your show. So isn't that interesting that they'd never really talked to each other about it? Well, yeah, because you don't want somebody to think that you're a little bit off. In Sandy, Utah, which is part of the Salt Lake metro area, there is a hospital there called Alta View. In the 1990s, there was a man who sought revenge on the doctor that had performed a tubal ligation on his wife, and he took over the hospital's women's center at gunpoint. During the following hostage situation, a nurse named Carla Roth was shot and killed outside the woman's pavilion. In 1997, after injuring my neck and shoulders when a car parked on a hill slammed its door on me, I was knocked unconscious. I was not exactly conscious when the man who would become my first husband was driving me to the emergency room. I did not know which hospital he was taking me to, and as we passed the women's center, I got a chill down my spine and saw a woman that I later found matched a picture of Carla Roth running from the building outside the corner of my eye. Then she faded from my sight. Later, when I was more conscious, I was quite upset about it. Some years later, after the birth of my daughter, I had to have surgery for endometrial lesions and abdominal adhesions at the same hospital. I was very nervous to ever set foot there again until a friend of mine who's a nurse put it into perspective. My friend Lori said she believed that Carla was still hanging around Altaview to look after the patient she had dedicated her life to. I came through the surgery well, and I honestly believe Carla was looking out for me. So I thought that was kind of cool. Very cool. We have a couple of reviews from Apple Podcasts. Linger fan, enjoyable history, five stars. I thoroughly enjoy your podcast. The history intertwined in each episode is awesome. And as a fellow file, I'm fascinated to hear and learn about the cemeteries around the country. I love the banter, the oddities, and this day in history. Great job, HGB. Well, thank you. And then from Australia, we have two reviews. Rusty, great find, five stars. Found this podcast and have binged on nearly all the episodes so far. Good research and the hosts speak clearly. Love the Australian content too. Thank you, Rusty. And Moo Bethany, absolutely spooktacular, five stars. Denise and Diane have created a world that I regularly love visiting, a place where the stories are the perfect mix of history and ghost legend. I'm so glad I stumbled across this podcast. I love listening to both of you and your chemistry's great. Thank you so much for bringing a lot of joy to my spooky history-loving self. Well, you are welcome, Moo Bethany. 
Well, we want to thank you all for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Wander Pup Wrangle, James Colgrove, and Edel Hanhofer. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.